Good morning again. Good morning. Listen, you all look so, so lovely this morning. And how about those kiddos, huh? Man, that was a cuteness overload. Yes. Now, worship team, you guys did pretty good too, but the kids, the kids. Oh, listen, I'm going to go ahead and address the elephant in the room. Yes, I am wearing a bow tie. No, Greg Fields did not have to tie it for me. Yes, I spent an inordinate amount of time trying to tie it in the mirror this morning. But uh, judge not, lest ye be judged, okay? So, I definitely took that verse way out of context. Sorry about that. Um, So I'm all kinds of amped up this morning, and if it seems like I'm overly excited, it's because I listened to about a billion John Piper sermons to prepare for this, so just bear with me, but I promise I will get you out of here before sundown. Um, So we're going to continue our morning in prayer. We're going to pray for a church that's in our area, uh, much like we do almost every Sunday, and then we're going to pray for a people group. And so the church today is the uh, Commerce Community Church, or C3 in Commerce. Uh, It's a sister church of ours uh, that we planted several years back, and uh, we've just been excited to partner with them uh, over the last years. And then the Unreached People Group is the Persian people of Iran. And so um, reading up a little bit about Iran, it's very, very, very uh, persecuted there. Uh, just becoming a Christian from a Muslim to a Christian can get you put to death. So uh, it's a dark, dark place, uh, but nonetheless, uh, we are going to pray for the 2.6% Christians that are there, um, and it's about 0.4% evangelical Christians. And then we're going to pray for our time this morning. Uh, So if you would, please bow your head with me. Uh, Father God, you are so, so, so good. Um, God, we love you so much, and we're just excited this morning to celebrate uh, your resurrection. God, we just praise you for uh, C3 Church and Commerce, God. Uh, We praise you that they have such a ripe harvest there with um, A&M Commerce just down the road. God, we pray that you uh, just be with them this morning as they're celebrating with us, uh, that you are the risen Lord, God. Um, We praise you for their partnership, God. We praise you for their ministry. Um, God, we ask that you be light on uh, the campus of A&M Commerce and in the town of Commerce, God. I just pray that you're getting glory there this morning, uh, just like the glory that you're receiving from us, God. Um, Also, Father, we pray for the uh, Persian people, God, specifically in Edan. I know they are cast all over the world, God, but those in Iran are going through uh, some dark days, God, but nonetheless, Father God, I just pray that you get worship there. God, I pray that the Persians of Iran see uh, you, God, and see your glory and see your beauty um, despite all the darkness, and as a matter of fact, that you stand in stark contrast to that darkness because in you is light, God. We just praise you uh, for the worship that you are going to get there, God. Um, We ask that you send people Uh, to the Persians, God, that you burden people's hearts, Father, uh, whether that be in this very congregation or whether that be in C3 or whether that be in another church, God. Uh, We just ask that you pour uh, missionaries into Iran um, and allow them uh, to live, God, without persecution, uh, but uh, to advance your kingdom in that area, Father. We love you, God. Um, Thank you for our time this morning, God. Please uh, be here with us, God. Equip us. um, Help us to enjoy you this morning, God. Help us uh, to be filled with joy uh, with your presence and with each other, God. 
Father, ultimately, uh, we just want to join in celebration of you this morning. God, we love you. We love you. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen. All right. So um, I'm going to give you a little bit of brief uh, bio or, I guess, summary of what's going to go on this morning uh, from, uh, from the pulpit. And so back by popular demand, I do have a timeline. So if you are visiting this morning, I didn't have a timeline last Sunday, and I thought I was going to get mobbed. Um, so I brought back a simple timeline, and then we're going to talk about Easter a little bit, and then we're going to read our passage that we're going to spend most of our time in this morning. Then we're going to go to a satellite passage just to kind of dig in a little bit deeper, and then go back and expose the passage that we are going to mainly focus on. And then we'll have one small application and then we'll enjoy the supper together. So that's kind of what's going on. So Bex, hit me with that timeline. Okay, so I spent a lot of time on a really, really complex, complex timeline. This is not that complex timeline. Um, so after I had built this amazing timeline that I thought was amazing, um, as it turns out, it was zoomed in on my computer about 4,000 times, and so I could read it perfectly, but I realized once I cast it up here, nobody else would ever be able to read it. So uh, I started chopping away and chopping away, and pretty soon I got down to about as simple as it gets. And so this morning, if you haven't um, noticed, we're going to focus a whole lot on Jesus, and I don't think that's any different from every other morning, but I really just wanted to strip this to bare bones. And so I put Jesus' birth on here from 6 to 4 BC, and then I have a whole bunch of awesome stuff. And then we have the resurrection at 33 A.D. Now, you might argue it's 30 A.D. Okay, let's not get into the details. But 33 A.D., you have Jesus' death and resurrection. And then in this little bracket here is where we'll spend most of our time this morning. You've got the foot washing uh, at the Last Supper. Um, and then, obviously, that's part of the Last Supper. Then you've got the Garden of Gethsemane. You've got the Jewish and Roman trials. You've got the cru crucifixion, burial, Passover, resurrection, and then Jesus appears. Now, there's a whole lot in there that we're not going to get into today, but we'll give a brief flyby. And then after 33 AD, you have a bunch more awesome stuff. And then you have 1517, the Protestant Reformation, Martin Luther King. I always put that on there just to let us all know that these are real people and this is real time frames. And then you have Crosspoint Fellowship in 2022 AD, um, and we are a big part of the story as well. So just to kind of get your mind around what's going on, we'll spend most of our time where those brackets are in the last few uh, days of, well, I guess the last day before Jesus was crucified, and then shortly thereafter. So you can go ahead and kill that. Um, today is Easter Sunday. Sunday. Uh, today is a celebration uh, because he has risen, right? Amen. So you can read that in the story of the Gospels. But just as a flyover of what that looks like, Mary shows up to the tomb early on a morning, and she saw that the tomb has, was empty. The, the stone was rolled away, right? And so she ran and got Peter. And according to the Gospel of John, she ran and got Peter and the disciple that Jesus loved. Now, John wrote the Gospel of John, so John is calling himself the disciple that Jesus loved. Now, whether he just didn't want to talk in the third person and just say, I, John, or whether Jesus, the one he loved, is an identifier, that's kind of a different sermon. But just know that Mary ran and got Peter and John. 
And then this is my favorite part of the story, except for obviously the resurrection part. But in verse 4 of chapter 20, it says both of them, John and Peter, were running together to get to the tomb. And John was faster than Peter. He got there first. And so it was a humble brag on how fast John was. So guys are just going to be guys. That's all there is to it. I, I think that if Mary was like running to get Peter and John at the gym, it would have more or less looked like this. Okay, Peter put up 245 on the bench press. John put up 265 because he's the better athlete. And then he sprinted to the tomb and got there first. Guys will just be guys. I don't know what that's about. But nonetheless, they show up. The tomb is empty. And then, of course, Jesus appears, appears to Mary and the other disciples and then to several others before ultimately ascending to heaven to sit, reign, and rule at the right hand of the Father where he is still. And so that's what we're celebrating today. If there was any ambiguity to that, that is what we are celebrating. We're celebrating the solidification of our salvation. Because if there was no resurrection, there would be no salvation. So we are celebrating the solidification of our salvation. We have a Savior that conquered the death. As we sang about this morning, death, where is your sting? So if that doesn't get you excited... I don't know what does. You might want to check your pulse. So the main text we'll be reading out of this morning is 1 John 4, 13 through 17. And if you're willing and able, please stand for the reading of God's word. 1 John chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us the spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in the world. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So, if you are visiting with us this morning, um, something you should know, uh, we preach expositionally, which means we pick a book and we just go through it verse by verse. Um, and so for the last four and a half months, we've been going through First uh, John and so here we are in verses 13 through 17 on Easter morning, uh, which is pretty cool. So while we are celebrating the resurrection of Jesus, I think it's very important to go a few days before that. A few days, by a few days I mean three to be exact, to the crucifixion portion. As a matter of fact, the night before the crucifixion was the Lord's Supper. And so we're, we're going to talk about basically the most important meal that has ever been eaten in history. And we will read it. You can find the story in John 13, uh, the, the Gospel of John, that is, 13, 21 through 35. And Jesus had just washed the feet of the disciples. Okay, so he just shown them how to serve. And now they're about to take on the Lord's Supper in the eve of the crucifixion. And so if you don't mind turning with me, I'm going to read John 13, 21 through 35, and it's a long section, but bear with me. I think it'll be worth it. So the Gospel of John, chapter 13, verses 21 through 35. 
After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of who he spoke. One of the disciples whom Jesus loved, was, that's John, remember, was reclining at the table of Jesus, at the table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had dipped the morsel, Satan entered into him, and Jesus said to him, What you are going to do, do quickly. Now, no one at the table knew why he had said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the money bags, Jesus was telling him, uh, buy what you need for the feast, or he should go give something to the poor. After receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out, and it was night. Verse 31. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I have said to the Jews, so now I say to you, where I'm going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So, a uh, pretty interesting story. And I think if you read it at face value, you can kind of get lost in the minutia. But I'm going to pull out some details here. So here you have John sitting next to Jesus. And Jesus says, one of you will betray me. So Peter, being the pal that Peter is, and I think that Peter and I would get along for sure, He's, he's elbowing John saying, hey, you're sitting next to Jesus. Why don't you lean over and ask him who he's talking about? So John does, right? He leans over to Jesus and says, hey, who are you talking about? And Jesus says, I'm talking about the one that I'm about to dip this bread and give to. That's the one. So this is obviously a whisper. Jesus is talking to John in a whisper because if the whole room would have known what was going on, I think there would have been a riot, right? I don't think Judas would have made it out of that room. But here you have John being, asking Jesus, Jesus telling John. And so John is going through some stuff. He's trusted with this information that Judas, so Jesus, the man that he had been following for three years up to this point, is about to be crucified, right? Um, he's about to go away. John has no idea where he's going. He just knows he's about to go away. And you have Judas, who is a friend of John's, who's been traveling with Jesus as well, is going to do what, he has, to be, what has to be done. And so I can imagine that John is in some extreme emotional turmoil. Now, the first thing to note here is that this wasn't by accident. Jesus actually initiated the betrayal, okay? Jesus wasn't crucified by accident by any stretch of the imagination. His betrayal was initiated by him to Judas. I think that's important to note. But then you have this 
whole thing going on, and the very next thing, um, having, motion, or having to set his motion in betrayal, the very next thing Jesus says is, now the Son of Man is glorified. So he sets into motion his crucifixion, and the very next thing that they say in verse 31 is the Son of Man be glorified. At the very moment when the betrayal was secured, when the betrayal was put into motion, he says, the Son of Man and the Father in him be glorified. At the darkest hour of his life, he will shine most brightly with the glory of God. And of all the disciples, John is the one that knows what's going on. I mean, again, John is having to deal with some real stuff. He's got Judas betrayal, and he's got glory, and he's trying to figure out what is going on. And I kind of imagine him being in that, like, fight or flight or freeze mentality. And he's a little bit in the freeze mentality. He's like, oh, my goodness, what is happening? And the very next thing he hears is little children. Little children, I am leaving you. So Jesus is saying, little children, I am leaving you. Now, up to this point, the mark of a disciple was actually following Jesus. And I mean physically following Jesus. Everybody knew exactly who Jesus' disciples were because they saw him walking and talking and eating with Jesus. Where Jesus was, they went. It was easy to see who was following Jesus. And then all of a sudden, Jesus says, now I'm leaving but I'm going to leave you something. I'm going to leave you a badge. I'm going to leave you an identifier. It's going to be this, that you love one another. And that's going to set you apart from everybody else, that you love one another. And Jesus would be leaving that next day by way of the cross. This moment was so deep and so memorable and so heart-changing that I would say that it shaped the very ministry and life of John. It impacted him so much that I would say that 1 John is actually an exposition of this very moment. You see, decades later, John wrote the Gospel of John, and he actually wrote 1 John about this very moment. You see, the theme of 1 John is how will people know that you follow Christ? You see, what I'm getting at is that John was so captured by God's love through Christ that he wrote this. And I know you're thinking, Neil, how do you know that 1 John is an exposition of this exact moment? And I'll say this, that Piper and Dever told me so in their commentary. And so don't think I kind of came up with any of this. But the argument that they made was this word that he uses here, little children, is the Greek word technia. And this word technia is not found anywhere else in the gospel of John, specifically in the gospel of John. And so... There is lots of different instances where the word children is used, and he could have used this word, but he didn't. This is only used one time in the Gospel of John, and it's right here. And as a matter of fact, it's not used anywhere else in the New Testament except 1 John, where it is used seven times, seven times in the, in the Gospel of 1 John. Also, similarly, this word, uh, a, new a new commandment I give to you, same exact thing. It's not used anywhere else in the New Testament, but it is used in the book of First and Second John. So I think it's pretty evident that this very moment changed John's life forever. 
And so uh, one thing, you know, if you were here last week, we talk about the love for each other, and we, and we actually read this exact verse. So the verses that we're getting into now of 1 John chapter 4, verse 13 and 17, is on the heels of that very thing. It's more like, okay, now people know who you are. Now people know you are mine. What is next? How does this work? What are we to do? So now we're going to expose 1 John chapter 4, verse 13 through 17. Um, and the way this is going to work, I'm going to read a verse and then tell you kind of what, it, what it's saying. And then read a verse and tell you what it's saying. And we'll do that. So, verse 13 of chapter 4. By this we know that we abide in him and he us, because he has given us of his spirit. You see, verse 13 gives us uh, one way that we know we are abiding in him. It's that he has given us his spirit. We're assured we are abiding in him if he has given us the Holy Spirit. The presence and activity of the Holy Spirit within us is evidence that we are abiding in God. To abide means to continue to believe in Jesus and, in, and be in obedience to him. So John 15, chapter 4, or excuse me, John chapter 15, verses 4 and 5 uh, is just right after uh, John chapter 13. It's the same night, same exact thing. It's a very famous uh, section of verses, uh, the whole I am the true vine. And in verses 4 and 5 there, it says, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So, to abide means to continue daily in a personal relationship with Jesus, characterized by trust, prayer, obedience, and joy. And if you don't spend time with someone, you won't actually know who they are. And that includes Jesus, right? You have to spend time with someone to know who they are. And if you don't know who they are, this verse is saying you can do nothing. Nothing. Now, I do want to be very, very clear here. If you are not abiding in Jesus, you can definitely still play basketball. Okay, You can do stuff. That's not what John is talking about. John is talking about actual eternal value. You have no eternal value. You don't produce spiritual fruit. Because he goes on to say in verses 8 and 9 of that chapter 15, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Why do we do this? So we can glorify the Father. It's simple, right? Just abide. Simple, but not easy. So if we go back to 1 John uh, verse 14, we see, And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his love to be the Savior of the world. John is saying, we, the apostles, the one who brought this message to you, the one who saw these miraculous signs, the one who followed around Jesus, walking and talking to him, Jesus, the Messiah, we testify to you that Jesus is sent from the Father. And by extension, through faith, Crosspoint Fellowship, you also should testify that name. 
that he, Jesus, was sent to be the Savior of the world. Now, Savior here um, is only used one other place in the writings of John in chapter 4, verse 42. And it's really this idea of going on mission to share this Savior. Go on mission to share that he is indeed the Savior of the world. And that's what we should be testifying. And that's kind of what verse 14 is telling us. So let's dig into verse 15. So we have come to know and to believe that the love of God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. If we acknowledge Jesus is the Son of God, meaning he is fully divine, and he has every single attribute of God, then we are abiding. See, through Jesus, we are abiding in God, and that's the key, through Jesus. Remember a few weeks ago, um, we talked about true teachers will acknowledge that Jesus was fully human. But here we're saying uh, we're acknowledging and pointing to his divinity. So he's fully human and fully divine. Verse 16 says, So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. Verse 16 says, We have come to know. That is to say, we have come to be assured in our abiding. We see the love of the Father in the act of sending the Son. If you want to see God's love, you look at Jesus. That is, to, you look at God himself. God is love. Abide in, cling to, remain in love. And in doing so, you are abiding in God. Verse 17 says this, By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, also are we in the world. Verse 17 says, by this, which means it's pointing back to verse 16, the fact that you are abiding in love. If you are abiding in love, he repeats that we can have confidence, we can have assurance. You can know that on the day of judgment, you are his. And there is nothing that can separate you from him. So, how do we, or now that we know that we are disciples, now that we know that we are believers, what's next? How does this work? What are we doing? Well, verses 13 through 17 say it's simple. You just abide, right? In conjunction with John 15, that is, we are to be grafted into like the branches are to the vine. Remember, we are to be grafted into, we are to believe in, we are to receive, we are to remain in and have joy in him being pruned for love which bears fruit, which proves you are an actual disciple. We're not talking about imitating Christ here. Hear me say we're not talking about imitating Christ. There are plenty of other verses in the Bible that talk about imitation. That is not what John is talking about. John is not talking about imitation, but he is talking about participation. He's talking about participation. And if you've, ever, if you've been to young adult, you'll know we've been talking about this word, uh, koinonia, which is participation. Um, and everybody laughs at me because I say quinoa, okay? So you are participating in. You are not merely copying Christ. If you are abiding, you are connecting with Christ. That is what it is to abide. And so we kind of have to go back to John 13 uh, verse 34 and 35, remember, Jesus gives a new commandment. 
So why does he give a new commandment? Remember, 1 John is an exposition of this very moment. So 1 John is helping us with the newness of the new commandment. What is so new about it? Because in Leviticus 19 and 18, it says, love thy neighbor. Like there's no difference there. In the Old Testament, it is love thy neighbor, which is what Jesus is saying here. But what's different about it is Jesus is involved, right? We have a direct view of the cross. And so I'll read uh, chapter 13 of the Gospel of John, uh, verses 34 and 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. You have a new heart, changed by the view of the cross, changed by his love. And Piper puts it like this, talking as Jesus speaking. The new commandment is, I love you, and in loving you, I'm dying for you and calling you. I've grafted you into me so that your love for each other is not mere imitation, but participation in me. It is my light, my love flowing into you by attachment like a branch to a vine. That is what is new about it. And that is how you will be known, and that is why you abide. People will see you laying down your life for your brothers and sisters. People will see you laying down your life both in big and small ways. Big and small ways. People will see you laying down your life for each other. So, why do we take the supper every single week? We remember him because he isn't walking and talking next to us. Others know us because we love. Others know us because our identifier is that we love each other. They won't know us as his because they don't see us following around in the flesh. They will know us because we love one another. And as often as we gather, we eat and drink together to celebrate, celebrate Christ and God's love for his people, for which he sent his son to die for because this food and this drink are the gifts of God for the people of God, that is the church. We are bound together by him, through him, and for him, shown as such by the love that, was, that we show for one another. That is what the supper is about. That is why we should cherish it. That is why we can put up with this terrible tasting juice and whatever that thing is that we eat. Because to call it bread is, seems disrespectful to bread. It's not about the taste of the elements. It's about tasting and seeing that the Lord is good together as a people of God. We are saying that we are abiding in him. So we have one application point this morning. Just one. Abide in him. It's simple, right? Abide in him. Let's pray. Father, you are so, so good. Your love is incredible. And as we focus on loving each other, as we have been loved, I pray that the love of Christ for us be made manifest, and I pray that we be united in it. I pray that we abide in it. Give us your heart for your people. We ask that you take us, your little children, who have different backgrounds and come from different places and come from different walks in life. 
We ask that you bond us over you. Help us to make your love missional, O Savior. Today we celebrate your son's triumph over death. Death couldn't handle you and the grave couldn't hold you. Holy Spirit, equip us and guide us this week. It is in your name that we pray, Jesus. Amen. All right. Band's already up here. They're going to pray a song. Um, As they are praying, if you are abiding in Christ, if you're needy in Christ, if you're believing in Christ, the elders will be up here at the table. They will serve you your supper packets. Um, There is a gluten-free option. Note that in the basket is a gluten-free option. Um, Go ahead and take your supper, return to your seats, and we'll take it all together as a church.